0: I don't know why they don't do it Friday nights. What? Yeah. I mean, it's the, you sleep late on Sunday anyhow. So it's not as though, you know, so you get up at noon instead of 11. And it's even worse on Monday. Did anyone read the C.K. Williams story? I'm poem. So why did I post it? Why did Suze tell me about it? Yes. Notice he misquoted. Oh, they flee. Um, Did you know what the other quotation was from at the end of the poem? Did you? For I have done, that's how the poem ends. This is your quiz. Whoever gets it first without looking. Done. No.
1: Yes. Is that uh, to Henry Watton? Nice try. No, but nice try. Yeah. Is that the other riot that he's talking about? If you want to hunt, I have a good, like, I know where to show you. Getting
0: warmer. Getting warmer. It's my loot be still, my loot awake. Oh. And then my loot be still. The last line is my loot be still, for I have done. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a really good poem. I also like the line. Does anyone have it with them, actually? Um, what the. Uh, what the art world, art world word for shitty is? Um, I think it's like what is it? No, I don't. I
1: don't remember. It, what did you say though? Interesting. I th-
0: I think it was more of Facebooky complicated, um, no. but it wasn't. Um, I, f- I forget what it was, but it it was good. I thought it was a good poem. Um, all right, I left my um, that my Amorous Jones um, at a movie theater. Not that I have time to see movies or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I saw a totally great movie, which um, uh, you'd hate. Did you
1: see Coriolanus?
0: No, I want to see Coriolanus. Have you seen it? I want,
1: my friends oh, went no. to go see it.
0: Yeah, I've heard it was really good.
1: Did anyone not like it? I don't
0: know. It's like not something to
1: see if you want to be happy
0: afterwards. After. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds even better.
1: <laughs>
0: really? So you were unhappy? Are you glad you saw it? Yeah. Is
1: I go to bed now. <laughs> My friends
0: said they cut absolutely none of the awkward sexual tension that was, that is actually in the play. Like they like actually ramped it up or something. Um, yeah, there there is awkwardness in, <laughs> in Coriolanus, awkward to watch, awkward to be. Um, okay. um no, I saw the Bayatar movie that was at the Harvard Film Archives uh, called The Turin Horse. Um, which if you haven't seen Bayatar, um, no one likes the first Bayatar movie they go to. Um. <laughs> But this one was really, really amazing. The Turin Horse is the, it's a movie kind of about the horse that Nietzsche saw being beaten, and which, when he saw it being beaten, he went crazy. So Nietzsche goes home and is crazy and doesn't speak for 10 years and dies. Um, But this movie is about the horse who then goes home and doesn't eat because he's been beaten so badly. And so it's basically two and a half hours of his not eating. Um, And his master and his master's daughter. It was actually quite an amazing movie. Um, So if you ever get a chance to see it, and you um, want to impress your friends by liking it, there's a certain kind of movie, which is um, the main reason to figure out a way to like it is so that you can amaze your friends because they won't. Um, And that's a really good way to develop taste. Um, It really is. And Bayatar is very much in this mode. Um, it will take you a while. But he's really incredible. Um, all right, so I thought, what, what did you guys think of Dunn? <laughs> is is yes a thought? I guess it is. Um, can you unpack that yes? Yeah.
1: I think that lust-bred diseases rot thee and dwell with thee itchy desire and no ability <laughs> is the best. Um,
0: that's true, but what about Dunn? <laughs> <laughs> is, is the best. He has a way of taking very...
1: Very plain things. Like his poetry seems very simple, Mm -hmm. but in fact it's extraordinarily Mm clever. It's a lot of wordplay. It's just great.
0: Like what? What are you thinking?
1: Well, like I'll I'll do like the short one, the lame, lame beggar. Mm -hmm. But like I read it three times before I was like, oh, that actually makes sense, and then I liked it more. Uh
0: huh. Okay. Okay. Um, Other people, other yeses, Barbara. Yeah, you said yeah. See, so you're saying yes again.
1: I liked um, the short ones too, and then also um, I'd read the plea before, but I read it again, and <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> um, and the songs as well. The
0: go and catch Fallen falling star. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. Is Sir Henry Wotton like Oscar Wilde, Dorian Gray, or is he a real person?
0: He's a real person. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much we know about him, um, but he was real. He
1: was real.
0: Um, Other yeses? Any noes? Yeah. Did he let his wife, mistress,
1: girlfriend, person to ever read his (laughs) phone? Why are you wondering? (laughs) It's really interesting. It's all the poems before the anniversary. It's basically saying that love is just gonna die, and the apparition is like, I'm gonna haunt you after I die. Mm -hmm. And and the last one is what's the quote? It's um, this is the second year of our reign. He's like saying that we are the king and queen, and he's like, Yay, I love you. And it's almost like he's just trying to sleep with her at that moment. Yeah. You think? <laughs> probably. That's my question. Did did he, did he send these
0: letters? As- um, do you guys have Love's alchemy in that edition? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, think
1: so.
0: yeah that's, it might be in the 17th century one, although a lot of these, um, no one really knows the date. Um, and I think that's probably 16th century, but it might nevertheless be in the 17th century one. Um, it's, you know, some of these, and do you have Busy Old Fool, The Sun Rising? Yeah. Um, so that one is, the speaker is female. Um, and so you shouldn't confuse Dunn with his speaker. One of the things that he's doing is writing um, extremely, I don't know what word to use, extreme, extremely extreme poems, um, which are, I don't know, are they jokes? Are they philosophical jokes? I mean. You like the flea? Um, I
1: thought, obviously, it was, well, I thought that it was not him. It was like a, he was making a character,
0: like, a sleazy. <laughs> well, let's look at that. Sleazy, you think? So did everyone get what this was about? The flea? It's a reference to Wyatt's they flea? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So we've unpacked some of the yeses. Do you want to unpack
1: that no? (laughs) I think it's uh, one of the best arguments I've ever read for getting somebody in bed with you. (laughs) 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 Huh.
0: (laughs) Um, How many people agree? In that
1: it would be effective or in that it's (laughs) amazing? Well, (laughs) either. I don't think it would work on me,
0: but I would love to hear it. <laughs> okay, well, let's look at it um so does it everyone have it mark but this flea and mark in this how little that which thou deniest me is um so what's she denying him bedtime, <laughs> <laughs> bedtime. it's um it would actually be what um yes, yeah, the exchange of bodily fluids um me, it sucked first, and now sucks thee. And in this flea are two bloods mingled thee. So um I think, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, Um you can imagine Jon Stewart going to town with us. Um So the word suck there is like, sexy or not? We can play a game, sexy or not? <laughs> so the flea, mark but this flea. And mark in this, how little that which thou denies me is. Sexy or not? No. Me had sucked first, and now sucks thee. And you should imagine his eyebrows going, up. <laughs> know what I mean? <laughs> and in this flea, our two bloods mingled be. Confess it. This cannot be said of sin or shame or loss of maidenhead. Um, so you know, so you got. I got bitten by the flea, you got bitten by the flea. That's not sinful, right? Um, It can't be either a sin or a shame, or certainly can't be regarded as a loss of virginity. Um, Right? Yet this enjoys before it woo. Um, So what does that mean? Why does he point out that the flea enjoys before it woos? The flea gets what he wanted and
1: didn't even have to say anything. <laughs> yeah, none of that boring, I have to write some poems to
0: you before you consent to, like, talk to me. Um, the flea just lands on someone and it sucks them. Um, and that's that.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I, this is what the words of the poem, this, this is high culture. Uh, Yet yeah, this enjoys before it woo, and pampered swells with one blood made of two, Um, So there's a kind of image there that Dunn is alluding to, Um, pampered it swells with blood. Um, One blood made of two. Um, So it's as though um, one person is aware of another person. The fact that both of them are together makes something, um, especially when it's pampered swell with blood. Are you following where this (laughs) is going? and this alas is more than we would do. So look at this flea. Um, first, it mingles our bodily fluids. And it sucks us both. And this isn't a sin or a shame. And plus, um, it's also, when it gets pampered, it swells up. And it's all really nice. Um, so what's wrong with any of that? So then we get a stanza break. And then his next words are, oh, stay. So. Oh, stay in response to what? What's the stage direction? That. She's
1: about
0: to walk yes. <laughs> no, actually not. Um, she's she's doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. So so the flea has sucked on them both, and it's all swollen with their blood, and it's really happy, and it didn't have to woo, and um, this is what human beings should be like. Um, and said, sorry. Not like no, say it.
1: Parasites.
0: Yeah, um, and so she sees this, and so she, so she is about to kill the flea, and he tries to stop her. Oh, stay! Three lives in one flea, spare. Um, so, what about what does the fact that she's about to kill the flea mean? Yeah.
1: She, in his eyes, due to the conceit of the poem, she can't kill just the flea. In Killing the Flea, it's you, me, and the flea. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so in Killing the Flea, it's it's all three of us. The flea's got its little life, and it's got um, my blood in it, and it's got your blood in it. So um, you're killing three lives in Killing the Flea. Um, What does it mean about the dramatic situation between them? So if you're playing her, if this turns into a play, um, and you're playing her. Um, What choice does she make at that moment, and what choice doesn't she make? She chooses to stop and think. (laughs) Okay, yeah, she doesn't say, oh, you're right, that flea. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let me have you now. Um, Yeah?
1: Well, is it like the difference between her just like ending the conversation and ending all arguments for them being together versus her not? Basically, like by not killing the flea, she's like metaphorically not
0: killing his chance with her. OK, but what she's about to, he has to stop her from killing the flea. So um, if she's starting to kill the flea, I mean, just look, make this realistic. One of the great things about Dunn is that he is realistic. So make this realistic. What would you do? So you're at a party, right? And someone who's had a little bit too much beer um, comes up to you, and there's a flea. <laughs> Um, and this person suggests that the reason you should go to bed with them is um, that the flea has bitten both of you. Um, so what do you do under those circumstances?
1: You leave <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, and if you don't leave, what does that mean? You're
1: still listening to his argument.
0: Yeah, you're intrigued. So say say the person... Um, is actually sort of um, charismatic and sexy and is saying these things. Um, um, I think those are
1: mutually
0: exclusive. Charismatic and
1: sexy? With and saying these things? <laughs> OK. No, 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 no. no. Sorry, you go to
0: <laughs> um, Well, can you not imagine um, finding, the, finding this a uh, sort of put on outrageousness that's fun? In other words, what if what if this is someone who is um uh
1: like he's saying it ironically or well, not well, ironically I run, but, y- like to make you laugh Yeah. Gross.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, but what about gross out humor? Is it never interesting?
1: <laughs> That's a that
0: breaks genetically fifty fifty. Is horror of spiders? spiders versus
1: fleas.
0: Yeah. I don't know about the flea part, but horror of spiders. There's there's some people just the very idea of spiders. No, and then there are other people are thinking. You know, it's just a spider. What's two, what what's two more legs? <laughs> um, Six more. That gives me the
1: trouble. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> it is funny but it's definitely it's just so gross <laughs> alright so
0: what if it were a, um, a Stephen Colbert or John Stewart type that is someone who knew who was totally and utterly in control of um, how outrageous it was the way they are it um, doesn't mean you have to find them attractive but <laughs> you can imagine why people do um, and so, can you imagine you know John Stewart doing this sort of thing and um, just not having had too much beer, but just being John Stewart um, or or one version of Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, you know not Borat, but um, what is he in that NASCAR movie with Will Ferrell? Um, when he's drinking coffee as he's racing, Ricky Bobby? No, Ricky Bobby is is, is, is Will Ferrell. Yeah, he's he's the he's the utterly debonair French um, NASCAR driver. <laughs> uh, it had to be Sasha Baron Cohen. I mean, um, uh, but I forget that anyhow, so you know, Rick Farrell is desperately driving and praying to the baby Jesus as, as he's driving his car around and Sasha Baron Cohen is sitting in front of his wheel sipping an espresso with his <laughs> pinky out. Um, so it's a, you know, so imagine a Jon Stewart or Sasha Baron Cohen combination of utter outrageousness and kind of debonair control of that outrageousness. Um, so you could imagine a performance of a poem like this from, from that sort of person, or couldn't you? I could see
1: it being funny. I don't know if I could see it closing any deals, but I could see it being funny. You still killed the flea. Like, that, that enables me to understand this, then. Like, if it was that person, then maybe you don't walk away, but you kill the flea, <laughs> like, immediately. <laughs>
0: All right, so you kill the flea, um, because think, think of the situation so here. But
1: that's what she said, Jokes. Like, he's being yeah. But that's never gonna get you the goods. Like it, re- those jokes don't work.
0: <laughs> well, but <laughs> <laughs>
1: they just don't. So. I
0: think they don't work if they're if it's Ricky Gervais. <laughs> um, but it might work if it's I don't know Brad Pitt. Um, yeah.
1: Also, it doesn't work like in and of itself, but it gets her to stay and listen to you because you're being funny. And then once mm-hmm. you've got her attention, then you can like turn on the charm.
0: Yeah. I mean, th- think of think of it this way: that it's um, he, the speaker. Now let's distinguish between the speaker and the poet. He, the speaker, um, has a, has what's always a hard task, um, which is to um, for for this kind of poem, um, which is a seduction poem. So, seduction poems tend to be written by men. They tend to be written to women. Um, not always. Um, was anyone in the eighteenth century class? Anyone? So, yeah, um, you remember some of Rochester's poems, which put this utterly to shame.
1: Oh, yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> they're not even in the same universe of excessive lewdness. Um, but they're actually in the 17th century volume, if you guys want to know what... <laughs> if, you, if you guys want to see what, what is really um, far. Um,
1: well, like the problem, though, isn't anything explicit. It's that he's, compare- he's making... a which is disgusting, like
0: a metaphor. Yeah, but so here's the situation then. Um, It's a standard sort of poem, which is I'm male, you're female, you should sleep with me. Um, There are a lot of such poems. Um, If you saw Dead Poets Society, which I think is not a very good movie, but lots of people think it is, apparently, Um, Robin Williams has a a little spiel about why else would you write poetry. Um, It's a sexist moment, wouldn't you say? That little spiel of Robin Williams's? No? Really? I just can't believe
1: you don't
0: like that movie. <laughs> um, have other people seen it? You're Does lucky. It you Do you it like it? It's
1: on the crown? Um, no.
0: no. Yeah, see, I'm with her. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. It's just, you know. Um, it's, he's no he's no rules in that movie. I mean, I'm not arguing
1: that it's feminist. I'm just saying it gets you in your heart place. Okay. The in well, your heart place. Yeah. General yeah okay Not supposed to be in it, yeah.
0: Peric- <laughs> it's it's pericardial as a movie um, like, yes indeed, and the infections they can give you um so look. <laughs> In Dead Poet Society, this is, this is the equivalent of having class outdoors. Imagine if we were having those class outdoors, <laughs> how anarchic it would be. Um, in Dead Poet Society, there's, there's the claim Robin Williams makes that the reason to write poems um, is to be seductive. There is a genre of poem, which is um, poems whose speakers are men um, explaining why it would be a good idea for um, the person that poems is addressed to to have sex with them and soon. Um, in real life, if those poems work, they don't work for the poet the way they work for the speaker. Um, they may work, but not they don't work for the poet the way they work for the speaker. That's a major reason to distinguish between poet and speaker in a way that, in general, I think it's somewhat misleading to do. Um, if you find someone um, attractive because they've written such a poem, it's not because of the argument of the poem, it's because of how good the poem is. And that means that there's something different between a poem's being good and a poem's making a good argument. A poem can be good and make a bad argument. A poem can make a good argument and be bad. Um, But whatever it is that makes a poem... um, something that um, contributes to sexual attraction and it's certainly the case that um, poems can do that Um, it's um, whatever it is that does it it's not going to be the same thing that the speaker is attempting to do Um, so if you, if you think of it that way, what you can, um, I think this is, this is very much a poem which you should see in that genre. Now, what Dunn does is he takes an extremely, um, well, he takes an unlikely scenario. I am um, going to explain to you why you should sleep with me. Um, and the reason people write those kinds of poems is because they're a challenge. Writing a poem like that is to give yourself a challenge. Um, writing any kind of formal poetry is to give yourself a challenge and to declare to the world the challenge that you 're giving yourself that is, I am now going to write a sonnet. So the first thing you 're saying to the world is it 's going to have fourteen lines it 's going to have a rhyme scheme um, selected out of a fairly small number of possibilities um it 's going to it 's going to be metrically apt um it's there's going to be a surprising turn at some point. Um, now watch me attempt to do it. Um, and um, it's the same, kind of, the same kind of things that clowns have to do at circuses, um, which is that people go into a circus and they go to look at the acrobats and they assume the acrobats will do amazing things and they're ready to be amazed by the, acro- by the, by the acrobats' acrobatics um, because they can't do it. But people also go into a circus thinking, um, I'm not going to laugh at the clowns. Um, it's one of the things that half the audience goes in resolved to do, which is not be taken in by the shenanigans of the clowns because they've seen clowns and clowns are scary and why should clowns mean anything to them? And clowns know that. They know that, that in a sense, they have the hardest task um, of any performers in a circus because they're going against people who want to try to resist their charms. Um, And they have to overcome that resistance. And therefore, part of the whole kind of contract when you go to um, a circus, when someone says, here, let me tell you a joke. um, And part of the point is for you either to figure out the punchline before they get to the punchline or not to find the punchline funny. Um, You like it when you laugh in spite of yourself, but any good joke makes you laugh in spite of yourself. just a little bit of resistance. So there's a challenge that in a poem, in a joke for a clown, there's a challenge that the um, producer or writer of the joke or poem or performance is is uttering and declaring um, and indicating and then saying that he or she will try to meet. So a poem of seduction. Um, is such a challenge. Um, a poem's seduction is basically, um, here we are and the pheromones aren't doing it, so I'm now going to have to write a poem to get you to um, um, be interested in me. I'm going to have to tell you in a poem why you should be. And that, just that, is, is a hard thing for a poet to do. In a way, it's why Carpe Diem and Carpe Florin poems are so beautiful because that's where a poet really has to pull out all the stops. Not because the poem is, in fact, going to seduce someone to sleep with them, but because the poem has to look like a plausible um, kind of poem that might not be just completely self-deluded in imagining that it could work. That is, if a carpe florum or a carpe diem poem is really, really beautiful, you won't say to yourself, oh, I must sleep with that person. But what you will say to yourself is, oh, they had a right to such a poem. Because look how beautiful what they did is. So in fact, what a carpe diem poem or a carpe florum poem is, it's manifest content. It basically says, here is why you should sleep with me. But its latent content is, or its poetic content, not even its latent content, but its poetic content is: here is a poem in which I'm going to write at as um, high a level as I possibly can, um, and I'm declaring that I'm going to write at that very, very high level um, as a challenge, which I'm now going to try to meet. So that you can, so that part of the high level of this poem is that it's meeting the challenge of declaring and then um, producing a high-level poem. Um, So the speaker of such a poem says, in this poem I ask you to sleep with me. But the writer of such a poem says, in this poem I give you a speaker who is using all the powers that I have to write as powerfully as possible. But the direction of that power is, is somewhat different. Um, and if for one reason or another that kind someone writing that kind of poem, like someone like Byron, does seem sexy and does um, become attractive to people, it's not that their argument is going to be convincing. It's that the poem which takes the argument as subject matter in order to produce something beautiful or powerful, that poem itself because of its beauty and power will make its writer seem charismatic. So in other words you might sleep with a poet um, because of the poem that they wrote about um, the nothingness of human life just as quickly or just as easily as you might sleep with them because of the poem they wrote about how you should seize the day the content of the poem isn't what's going to make you do it. It's the meeting of the challenge. Um, And so Byron writes poems about the nothingness of life. Um, That's actually a quotation from Byron. Um, He writes poems about the nothingness of life. And he also writes poems about why you should sleep with him as soon as you possibly can. Um, And um, probably the poems about the nothingness of life, um, he got luckier with those poems. Then, and he was, he was a very lucky guy. Um, but he got luckier with those poems than with the poems about why you should sleep with him as, as quickly as you can. Um, because um, they're two different things. There's what the poet is doing, which is writing a powerful poem, or a, or a good poem, or a great poem, or a strong poem, or an impressive poem, um, meeting, setting and meeting a really difficult challenge for him or herself. And then there's the content of the poem, um, which is secondary to the way that content is, um, is expressed. Um, not always, but, in, but to the extent that poems make poets attractive. And that's probably not the main reason that people write poems. Um, But it is something that poems do and it's sometimes a reason that poets write. To the extent that a poet is writing in order to be attractive, to the extent that whether the poet is writing for that reason or not, um, a poem makes a poet attractive. um, The content of the poem is going to be secondary to um, other matters as to what makes um, the poet attractive through that poem. So when a poem takes the form of saying, read this poem and sleep with me, what it's actually doing is declaring that it's a poem which is supposed to make the speaker attractive and perhaps make the poet attractive. Um, but if it makes the speaker attractive, it's going to be in very different ways from the way it makes the poet attractive. Um, again, the, um, if you really wanted to seduce someone by writing a poem, as As many 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 adolescents have have intuited, um, your poem won't contain um, a prayer that the person you wanted to seduce should sleep with you. Um, your poem will do something like um, express a sublime indifference to the empirical trash that so many other people are interested in because you are deeper and more lonely than any such people in the world um, and um, and you were indifferent. Um, a parody of Byron in, in the great novel um, Nightmare Abbey by a friend of his um, has, has a character based on Byron and a character based on his best friend, Shelley, um, spending a weekend at a country house. And the Byron character, towards the end, takes his farewell of everyone, and he says, I will remember this weekend with as much joy as my lacerated heart is still capable of feeling. Um, <laughs> So that's sexy. Uh, Whereas I'm here because I'm willing to sleep with anyone, that's not so sexy. Um, So that's that distinction um, between a poet who wants to look attractive through the poem that he or she writes and the speaker of such a poem. Um, that's, That's a, I mean, I think that's a distinction we have a pretty firm hold on. But it's worth now looking at applying to this poem. So if you do that, what you would say is something like, um, whoever says, mark but this flea, and mark in this, how little that which now denies me is. Me it sucked first, and now sucks thee. And in this flea are two bloods mingled. Be confess that this cannot be said, a sin or shame, or loss of maidenhead, yet this enjoys before it woo. And pampered swells with one blood made of two, and this, alas, is more than we would do. Um, if someone walks away from that, what she's going to think is, That guy has serious
1: problems.
0: (laughs) Um, I cannot believe that he thinks that the fact that a flea bit both of us either means sex or is a good reason to think that uh, we could have fun, meaningless sex. Um, I just can't believe that. Um, But she doesn't walk away. Instead, she tries to kill the flea. Um, not walking away, but trying to kill the flea instead. Um, What does that say about what she takes him to be doing in the first stanza?
1: Yeah, George. Sort of setting something up. And I think the attitude that I had as a reader and that the the woman that uh, is, is where is he going with this?
0: Yeah, okay, so where's he going with this? Um, and it doesn't seem that he's going with, and that's what I got. Here's my argument. That's what I got. Um, so yeah, there's, it's like there's curiosity there. Um, that is that here he said this completely outrageous thing, and um, it's way over the top as far as, um, it's, as, as sexual banter goes. And the really interesting thing, though, is that she seems to be taking it not as this utterly excessive sexual demand, which is what it pretends to be, but as flirtation disguised, strangely enough, as an utterly outrageous sexual demand. So, And that's something that is familiar to you, right? That is that if you're interested in someone, a way of flirting with them is to sort of pretend not to be interested in them. And a good way to pretend not to be interested in them is to overdo a kind of fake sexual interest in them um, in order to hide a real sexual interest in them. Is this not a from do you guys not play those games? Never. You can't remember. You can't remember. Yeah. Um, it's, um, well, it's certainly a standard story, but I think it's a standard thing in people's lives also. Um, A way of indicating interest is um, being in a position where you can say things about being interested, um, but also have plausible deniability. And what gives you plausible deniability is exaggeration. Um, You can always say, obviously, you know, if I really felt that way, I wouldn't be making those crude jokes. Um, Whereas the reason you're making those crude jokes is you really feel that way. Um, that's, that's something that happens to people. Look, if it's never happened to you, just next time you go to a party, eavesdrop. Um, <laughs> and you will hear it happening. Um, I guarantee you. Um, so it's as though he's so over the top that of course she's not taking him seriously. How could you take him seriously? Um, so what's her response then? If she doesn't take him seriously, what does she take him to be doing? Well, let's say flirting. That is, yeah, he's interested, but not interested in the sense of thinking that what he wants is like a mega version of a flea bite. Um, So is she interested in him? Well, what's the indication that she is? She doesn't leave. Yeah, what does she do instead? Well, is it bides time, or is it something even stronger than that? She's yeah.
1: inviting him to further the ponzi. Okay, she's inviting... what happens if I kill
0: it? Yeah, okay, what happens if I kill it? That is, oh, so you think you're so clever, but look, I could just kill this flea. What are you going to say then? <laughs> um, so I think you should see it that way. They're fencing. And he's, he comes up with this completely outrageous suggestion... And part of, what, part of the difficulty that he's announcing for himself is that it's really, really, really easy for her to um, parry the move that he's made. He makes a move which is so over the top, but also so easily parried, because all she has to do is kill the flea. And then his whole thing disappears. So she says, So he says, look at this flea, mark but this flea, and mark in this how little that, which that annoys me, is. So all she has to say is, yeah, you're right, it's little. (laughs) Um, So it's almost nothing that she has to do to turn him down. So she's about to kill the flea. Um, Again, I think if you you ever film this, you should have her laughing. Um, You know, I think this is a role Ginger Rogers could play really well. Um, that is, she's amused. Um, and part of the amusement is this guy is just totally not threatening. He's so, the, the, this, or this move is so totally not threatening because it's so over the top that she doesn't have to walk away. This isn't what Sydney would have said to her, right? Um, not. Sydney wouldn't have talked to her. <laughs> well, he would have talked to her after about 80 poems. Um, <laughs> But, but certainly not at the start. And he certainly wouldn't be talking to her in terms of fleas. So she tries to kill the flea. And he says, stop. Oh, stay. Three lives in one flea spare, where we almost, nay, more than married are. So this flea is, um, we're almost married there. No, we're more than married, which makes the flea a sacred place. Um, because where do you get married? Married. Well, in the church, and more than married, is almost, it becomes almost a mystic marriage in the church. This flea is you and I, and this our marriage bed and marriage temple is. Um, so how, does, how is that as a proposal for marriage? <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we, we don't have to get married. We already are married. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry? Guilt-free. Guilt-free. Not in New Jersey, but anywhere else. Um, (laughs) Though parents grudge and you, um, so even though it's a standard Romeo and Juliet story, our parents don't want us to get married. And not only that, what makes it maybe a little less of a standard Romeo (laughs) and Juliet story is you don't want us to get married either. (laughs) It's so romantic. No one wants us to get married, including you. (laughs) What could be more romantic than that? (laughs) <laughs> Though parents grudge And you We are met and cloistered In these living walls of jet um, So jet there means what? Black, black. black. Yeah, so, so the black flea Is the living walls of jet So it's not only a church or temple Or marriage bed But it's living It's, it's the living thing Though use make you apt To kill me Um, so even though, um, you're used to, um, saying mean things to me, um, because we're an old married couple now, um, though use, and also because, yeah, you kill fleas all the time, though use make you apt to kill me, let not to this self-murder added be, so maybe you'll kill me by killing the flea, but you'll also be killing yourself because, Your blood is in the flea, so that becomes self-murder, which is just a terrible, terrible thing. Um, Plus, there's a third thing you're doing, and sacrilege. Three sins in killing three. So you'd be killing three lives, and the first one is me, the second one is you, and the third one is, well, murdering religion itself. You'd be engaged in sacrilege. What's the sacrilege? Well, killing the flea. And what else, and what other holy thing has the flea now become? Our child. No, the whole, what? Is marriage? 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 Is this a marriage. The Trinity. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: so in stanza one, the flea is just, we had sex together.
1: Yeah.
0: So, yeah, so in stanza one, it's, we've already had sex, it's all okay. Why would you worry? In stanza two, it's, Plus, we, we, plus the flea, are now the holy trinity. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's three, three lives in one. Um, so do people know the Nicene? Um, so basically, the, the standard view of the trinity adopted after much burning at the stake of different people. Yeah, do you know what the, how it goes? It's the Nicene Ring. You should know this.
1: I know that the, the three are the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I right. know that. I, you know John. I used to have you guys the, all probably
0: know John Denver, right?
1: I used to have the Nicene Ring <laughs> yep. memorized for school, but Okay,
0: don't, you don't... It's the Nicene Ring is what you need to know. So, here is um, God. Um, so, the Son... Well, it's actually the Father... is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit. You'll need to know this from Milton also, because he thinks this is wrong. The Holy Spirit is God, but the Son is not, the Holy Spirit is not, the Father is not the Son, and vice versa. So this is known as the, the Nicene Ring. It's the Nicene Creed in a siglum. Did you learn this ever? Learn um, it this way? I
1: learned the concepts of it, but no, no one ever drew it out like
0: that. Yeah, so the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Ghost is God. This is the idea of three persons in one God. Um, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Ghost is God but the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Son is not the Holy Ghost, the Father is not the Holy Ghost, the Father is So et cetera. Um, So so that's the Trinity. It's the separation of one God, three persons, each person distinct, but all of them are equally God. Um, And so there's been a lot of debate about whether this is true, whether it makes sense, and so on. Um, debate that led to a thousand years of persecution um, of heresy, of people who get this wrong. People who think the father and the son, the father is the son, is one heresy. Um, People who think that the father is God but the son isn't is another heresy, and so on. Um, People who think they're one person with two essences, people who think they're two persons with one essence, all those things get you into trouble. Um... So but so, nevertheless, the idea of the Trinity is um, people are always looking for ways of explaining three persons in one, um, ways of explaining the unity of the, and the word that's often used is triune, um, that is three and one at the same time, um, that God is three and one at the same time. That's the um, concept of the Trinity. Um, and it's, it's very hard to think. There's a, in the 19th century there were two, um, a Victorian theologian and a skeptic were um, walking um, down the street and they saw a carriage um, with three people in it. And the theologian turned to the skeptic and said, see, that carriage has three people in it. That's my conception of God, three in one. Mm -hmm. And the skeptic said, no, if you could show me three carriages with one person (laughs) in them, in all three of them, then I would accept your idea of the Trinity. Um, So that's the kind of entanglements that people trying to understand the concept get into. For Dunn, it's the three in one within the flea. There's you, there's me, there's the flea. So we're three in one right there. Um, You are murdering me. That's murdering one person. You're murdering yourself. That's um, murdering a second person. And you're engaging in sacrilege by murdering the flea, which is the living container of the other two people and alive itself. So it is itself the Trinity, and therefore God. So killing the flea because it's three-in-one is killing God himself, and you really, really shouldn't do that. It'd be much better for you to sleep with me. Um, So if you're her, um, don't look now, just look up. So if you're her, first he says don't kill the flea because um, you'll be killing yourself. So you listen to him explain why it would be a really bad idea to kill the flea. And it's really hard to imagine him coming up with a better reason to spare the flea than that it's God himself. Um, it's like there's no more stop to pull out after you pull <laughs> that stop out. Um, you're murdering God and all three <laughs> persons of God. Really, don't do it. It's a mistake. So do you believe him?
1: You kill the flea. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so what do you do? Do you stay? No. You say, oh, really? <laughs> so what does she do?
1: That.
0: Yeah. And we know that how? <laughs> Cruel and sudden. I can't believe it. Hast thou since purpled thy nail in blood of innocence? Um, so purpled her nail, what does that mean? Yeah, got blood on her nail um, in blood of innocence. Um, the, what? Um, as opposed to red? For the meter? Also, I think blood kind of, well, no. Actually, it's a good question. Um, Blood does look a little purplish when it um, dries on your finger. No?
1: Not a brown. It's it's got flea bits on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's flea blood. (laughs) Um, But
0: what else turns things purple? What else would you spill and it would purple the tablecloth?
1: I mean, she probably also slapped
0: him too. I don't think so. If she slaps him, it's definitely over. (laughs) I mean, they're still playing the game. But um, Gabby, what'd you say? Wine. Wine. Yeah. Um, Why would he refer to wine here when talking about blood? That's one of those questions that answers themselves. So why would he be referring to wine when talking about blood? It's a religious thing, too. What would the religious thing be? Yeah. So this is my blood you drink. um, Christ said at the Last Supper. Um, Do people know this about communion? Does everyone know this? Sort of, do you know it? You're not nodding, (laughs) kind of. All right, so at the Last Supper, what Jesus said was, this is my body you eat, this is my blood you drink. Um, What he meant by that is also the subject of a thousand years of argument. Um, But the um, standard Catholic understanding of that, um, and then he says, remember me. Um, when you drink wine, when you eat bread, remember me, because you eat my body and and drink my blood in doing that. So an obvious understanding of that would be something like, um, as the source of life for the world, um, he's the source of food and drink, or something like that. Um, Nevertheless, a a strong um, way of interpreting this was to think that um, in communion at the ritual of the Eucharist, the um, wafer that is the bread and the wine are what's called transubstantiated into the body and blood of Christ. And when you take communion, you, like the communicants of the Last Supper, are eating the body and blood of Christ. Transubstantiation is a word you've probably heard of. Yes or no? Um, it's a, OK, so it's a word you need to know. Um, that's what is supposed to happen to the Eucharist, is. Um, the priest who has the power to do so holds it up and says, um, This is the body of Christ, this is the blood of Christ. Um, it's actually the word in Latin is, the line in Latin is, Hoc est corpus meus, this is my body. It's where that got misheard by people who saw this magical thing going on that is, this wafer was turned into the body of Christ. Um, that was then heard and became into popular use as hocus pocus. So that's where hocus pocus comes from, hoc est, corpus meus. So um, transubstantiation means the substance, the matter itself, the bare matter. Substance means what underlies appearance, what stands under appearance, hence substance. Um, That the matter itself became the body and the blood of Christ even though it still looked like bread and tasted like wine. Um, So the substance changes, but what are called the accidents or the appearances stay the same. So it won't do, for example, to say, no, that's wine. Um, It appears to our senses like wine, but it's actually blood. That's the doctrine of of, um, transubstantiation and takes a lot of philosophical argument, um, which Aquinas makes in order to make. Um, Other people have the idea of consubstantiation, which is it's both wine and blood, both bread and body. And then there's yet a third idea, the Protestant idea of memorialism, which is that it's a reminder of the blood and body of Christ, but it's not itself the blood and body of Christ. Um, Herbert, whom we're going to read, has a poem called Holy Communion, Where he says, um, If I thought that you, Herbert was an Anglican priest, and he said, If I thought that you had really turned into bread, then I would think that you died for bread, not for human beings, that you died in order to make bread holy. But you didn't. You died in order to save humans. Um, So it's it's a metaphor or a literal thing um, where the interpretation has tremendous theological um, import. at any rate, the blood and the wine—the word purple probably is capture, capturing some connection between blood and wine.
1: Yeah. It's because everything else that he's been saying is
0: really religious. Yeah. 100%. Well, so yeah, so yeah, um, so, so it can be holy wine. Um, you know the Joni Mitchell line: "You're in my blood like holy wine." Um, I guess you guys are listening to your Sex Pistols or whatever you listen to. I don't know the Clash, your modern bands. There's nothing wrong wrong with the the Sex Pistols. God.
1: Really?
0: Yeah. Well, no, that's right. That's that. Yeah. Um. What about the Nail? Oh, is that the
1: AHA? <laughs> I'm really going for it. Yeah. yeah,
0: so it what exists. is it? What nail is it? Anyone else? Yeah. yeah. So the nails um, you, nails get purpled when they are used to crucify Christ. Um, by being hammered through his hands and feet, um, they get covered with his blood uh, and are therefore purpled. Now you have to remember that he becomes a priest. <laughs> <laughs> um we 're seeing we 're seeing we 'll see two sides of Dund uh, <laughs> today and, and Wednesday. This is definitely one side of him um, so cruel and sudden has thou since purpled thy nail and blood of innocence so basically you 've crucified this flea, um, which is to say also crucified me um, it 's just awful what you 're doing you are um, essentially um, as bad a person as Herod or Pontius Pilate, probably Herod even more than Pontius Pilate, because Herod was known as the sla- for slaughtering the innocents. So cruel and sudden hast thou since purpled thy nail in blood of innocence. In what could this flea guilty be except in that drop which it sucked from thee? Um, so what did the flea do? Almost nothing, and yet look what you've done. You're crucifying him. Um, and then we get another stage direction implied by her by her response to that. What does she do? Yeah, she triumphs, um, which is to say, the word triumph there means acts what we would say acts triumphant. Um, in other words, um, when you get like a sports headline, you know, like like um, Baylor triumphs over Duke or whatever. Um, that's a synonym for wins, but that's not actually what it means. To triumph means to um, to open yourself to a technical foul for gloating over the fact that you've just won. A triumph is a parade showing um, celebrating a victory. So to triumph means to say, "I'm so cool." Um, and a Roman triumph after. exactly, exactly. Um, were you gonna say something? Oh, and I- to
1: answer your questions, she says she finds neither herself nor him the weaker for
0: it. Yeah, so she actually speaks, finally. Um, so she kills the flea. He's like, no, no, don't kill the flea. Um, you know, that's, that's where we're married. So she makes a divorce. Um, and then she says, see, it didn't harm either of us. The only thing it harmed was the flea who cares. Um, and yet thou triumphed and sayest, that thou findest not thyself nor me the weaker now. So we're both perfectly fine. Killing the flea did nothing to us. Um, and that's when he falls into her trap. I mean, she falls into his trap. Um, what's the trap?
1: Huh.
0: What? That, Unpack the laugh. <laughs> if,
1: if that didn't do anything, what? why is it so bad? If...
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, having said, look, you should have sex with me because the flea's already done all this, and this flea is of just unbelievable significance. Um, you know, it's, it, it represents not only sex, but marriage and God and the whole universe. It's incredibly significant. Um, and she says, actually, not. Um, <laughs> and kills the flea and says, see, it's not significant at all. And he says, Right. <laughs> it Says what?
1: So too is your virginity. Right, lady.
0: right, exactly. Um, Yet that trimstone says that thou findest not thyself nor me the weaker now. Tis true. Then learn how false fears be. Just so much honor when thou yieldst to me will waste as this flea's death took life from thee. So really no big deal. Um, so either way, he's, he says, look... Um, the flea biting both of us um, represents our having sex. And in a way, the, flirt- the mistake she makes in the, in the fencing that they're doing, in the duel that they have, is to accept that premise. Because she thinks if she accepts that premise, she can destroy his conclusion really easily. Um, okay, you think this flea represents sex between us? Um, you think it's so important? Bam, now you see it isn't. And he says, yep, exactly what I was wanted, to, wanted you to understand. Um, so again, there's no way that Dunn would imagine that a serious argument of this sort would ever be attractive to someone. Um, what he does imagine is that the good humor and cleverness and resourcefulness and um, badinage that you're finding um, in this poem, will have a kind of charm to it, and it's that charm that'll be attractive. So it's not the content, but the manner that will be attractive. Is your head up? Yes. No.
1: Um, I'm just thinking how Dunn is playing mind games.
0: Yeah, um, he is. But he, uh, you know, he thinks a lot about sex. Um, you guys don't have, and I'm, I really don't think it's. No one has the 17th century volume with them. <coughs> You do. Okay, so can you just see if love's alchemy is in that? Don't is. You don't believe it is. No, um, um, what about elegy 19? Now, lg 19 is the one that begins come madam. Yeah, that's in the 17th century volume, or in the 16th, yeah. So what did you guys think of that one? I mean, if you're asking what did he show to his actual erotic coefficients, and in particular to his wife, Amdon? Um, probably, to his mistress Going to bed. He would have shown um, to her. Yeah.
1: So, like, we know that you know Sidney had um, Penelope Rich. Like, but then, <laughs> did, was, did he just have his wife? Like, what was?
0: No one. No one actually knows. Um, but he was certainly happily married, and you can see it in poems like "A Valediction: Forbidding Mourning," mm-hmm. um, and "A Nocturne on Saint Lucy's Day," and poems like that. Um, but he seems to have had a fair amount of sexual experience um, and um he was not um the kind of person who was who was uh embarrassed by it um so yeah let's just the um that's that that, ha- that poem has a lot of really famous lines but you can see that it's exuberant um but not in any way insulting to her. Um, he's, again, saying, yeah, you should definitely have sex with me. We should definitely have sex um, like now. Um, but the exuberance here, you know, that's, that's, there's a lot of energy in the language here. And the energy is all um, derived from his interest in her. Um, and that's the point of the poem, um, the lines that begin um, at 25, license my roving hands and let them go. Um, that's a very famous stanza. License my roving hands and let them go before, behind, between, above, below. Oh, my America, my newfound land, my kingdom, safeliest when with one man, man. Um, my mine of precious stones, my empery, how blessed am I in this discovering thee. To enter in these bonds is to be free. Then where my hand is set, my seal shall be. Um, So you can figure out what he means by that. Um, And then full nakedness, all joys are due to thee as souls unbodied. Bodies unclothed must be to taste whole joys. So notice he's giving a kind of platonic or religious idea that souls want to be free from bodies, and that's what will happen in the other world. But in this world, um, bodies should be unclothed. Um, it's um, It's the same, things going in the same direction. Gems which you women use are like Atlanta's balls, cast in men's views. That when a fool's eye lighteth on a gem, his earthly soul may covet theirs, not them. So all those gems you're wearing, they're just so that people will look at the gems and and be distracted from looking at you. Like pictures or like books, gay coverings made for laymen are all women thus arrayed. Themselves are mystic books which only we whom their imputed grace will dignify must see revealed." So um, imputed grace, does anyone know what that phrase means? It's again a religious idea, um, one that we'll see in Milton. Um, The idea is that we lost all grace by by eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge, Um, and we can't recover by ourselves. Um, but Jesus comes and dies for us, and what he does in that act of perfection and generosity is um, he gains, he regains grace for us. That grace which belongs to him is imputed to us. It's a legal term. Um, as though we are the ones who have that grace. Um, as though we are the ones who are now worth salvation, even though we're not. Um, we get that grace imputed to us so that we, they, we may then be saved. So here he's saying that, um, that women are like holy books um, and only those who are saved to whom they've imputed the grace of salvation are allowed to look into the book instead of just looking at the pictures or at the cover. Then, since I may know as liberally as to a midwife, show thyself. So that means completely. Cast all, yea, this white linen, hence. Here is no penance, much less innocence. Is that how you have that line? Um, Here is no penance, much less innocence. Um, The other possibility for, for the line is there is no penance due to innocence. Um, that is you don't have to if, if we're being innocent there's no penance that must be done for what's, being, what's happening innocently here um, and then the famous last two lines to teach thee I am naked first um, so in order to give her a model for what she should do he takes off all his clothes to teach thee I am naked first why then what needs to have more covering than a man so what's that last question mean? Here I am naked.
1: It's like those
0: pants look good on you. I look good on you, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is there another meaning? That
1: I, why do you need to wear more clothes than
0: I? Yeah. Why do you need to have more clothes than I? Um, but the other reading is? More covering Why do you need to be covered by anything except for... A man. <laughs> You're rolling your eyes at a poem written 400 years ago?
1: <laughs> he got married. He had some <laughs> game. <Gosh. laughs>
0: Are you scandalized? <laughs>
1: I just, like, never saw it going in that direction. And when you said I was like, of course. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, so, so the question is, is that, so the second to last line, just notice, one of the great things about Dunn is that you can actually see what he's doing really, really well. Um, you can see um, where he's setting things up. So to teach the I am naked first um, is setting up the um, more innocent reading. Which is why do you need more clothes than me? Um, look, I'm naked. Why do you need? Why do you have to wear clothes? Um, I mean, how innocent is that? Not very. <laughs> um, but the somewhat innocent, more innocent reading. Um, but he's setting that up in order to get the joke in the last one, which is <gasps> oh, um, <laughs> the, the moment of getting wide-eyed. Why do you need to be covered? You know, you don't need a blanket to cover you. Um, you don't need clothes to cover you. All you really need is a man to cover you. Um, OK, what I want to do is, is uh, so Love's Alchemy is not in the 17th century one, right? Um, Love's Alchemy is uh, one of Dunn's hardest poems. So if you want to see Dunn at his, I don't know if worst is the right, but most unpleasant, um, most bitter. Um, I'll just read this for you. Um, some that have deeper digged love's mind than I say where his centric happiness doth lie. So those who have dug deeper in, in love's mind say where his centric happiness doth lie. I have loved and got and told So I've loved women, and I've gotten them, and I've told about it. Um, It's also a pun on the idea of digging in a mine, which is already a pun. Um, But digging in a mine for gold so that um, I have loved is going into the mine trying to get gold and gotten the gold and told that is counted it. Um, you would, um, when you tell, that's what a teller is, someone who counts money. Um, that's a meaning of tell that we don't really have anymore except in a word like teller. Um, but sometimes when you talk about there, you know, I have $53 all told, um, that's that meaning of tell um, as counting money. So, um, So again, he has plausible deniability, but he's also meaning, yeah, I've had a lot of sex, successfully, and I've written poems about it and told about it. So, some that have deeper digged love's mind than I say where his centric happiness doth lie. I have loved and got and told, but should I love, get, tell, till I were old, I should not find that hidden mystery. The hidden mystery being love's centric happiness. I shouldn't get to that hidden mystery the centric, central happiness of love. Oh, tis imposture all. So here you can feel the bitterness. Oh, tis imposture all. And as no chemic yet, the elixir got. So no alchemist. Um, Chemistry and alchemy were the same thing in the 16th century. Um, A whole lot of the way chemistry was developed came out of alchemy. Um, And as no chemic yet, the elixir got. The elixir is what would turn um, lead into gold. uh, The philosopher's stone, Harry Potter readers will know. Um, As no chemic yet, the elixir got. But glorifies his pregnant pot if, by the way, to him befall some odoriferous thing or medicinal. So lovers dream a rich and long delight but get a winter-seeming summer's night. So what he says is there are all these alchemists, and they never actually get the gold. Um, Notice that the idea of mining for gold and now producing gold um, in in an alchemist's cauldron or pot, um, those two things are coming together as kind of mosaic of images, of related images, um, are coming together. And he says that every chemist who has tried to turn lead into gold, if by way to him befall some odoriferous thing, if some good thing comes out of it, oh, look, that's a nice smell, or medicinal, or oh, that would work for certain diseases. Um, and so the chemist says, look, it's all wonderful. Look what I got out of this. But he didn't get gold. He just got, by the way, he got some, some products of some use. In the same way that the chemist glorifies his pregnant pot, and notice the word pregnant there, um, a word associated with sex here becomes transferred to the idea of the the chemist's pot um, full of these chemicals. So lovers dream a rich and long delight, but get a winter-seeming summer's night. Why summer's night? Why is that a bad thing? Yeah.
1: Well, is it not that the summer's night would be a bad thing, but it's not actually, like it's it's framed as a summer's night, but it doesn't feel like that. So like, it would be like, it looks like a really great relationship, but it doesn't feel like
0: Okay, that. yeah, that's good. Stifling. Sorry? Stifling and hot without a breeze. Stifling and hot, um, yeah. It's shorter. It's, it's short, shorter yeah. Yeah, so it's like a winter night, which is that it's terrible, but it's also really short. So it's not good, it's like a winter's night, and it doesn't last long. Um, It's it's really short, so you get a little for a little while. So they dream a rich and long delight, and rich and long are now going to contrast with winter seeming, so it's not rich, and summer's night, so it's not long. Our ease, our thrift, our honor, and our day. Shall we for this vain bubble's shadow pay? So will we give up ease, thrift, honor, and day? For what? For this vain bubble's shadow? So again, think of the pot, the alchemist's pot, and and bubbles to the top of the pot, a bubble. So it's meaningless. And that bubble casts a shadow. And that's what love is. We wanted gold, and we got the shadow of the bubble in a pot that didn't have gold in it to begin with.
1: Whoa. (laughs) It's
0: a bitter poem. It gets worse.
1: (laughs) Goody. (laughs) Goody.
0: Ends love in this, that my man can be as happy as I can if he can endure the short scorn of a bridegroom's play. So is that all love is, that my man, which might mean his servant or might mean his penis, can be as happy as I can? That's the limit of happiness. If he can endure the short scorn of a bridegroom's play, if you if you engage in this really embarrassing and... Um, and, and strange and awkward sexual encounter? Is that what love ends up being? Is that really what love is? Just having an awkward sexual encounter with the person you're in love with?
1: So wait, what does bridegroom's playing? Like the marriage night?
0: Like, yeah, or yeah, or, or pretending that you're married by having sex. Okay. The That loving wretch that swears, Tis not the bodies marry, but the minds." And that loving wretch who swears that it's not bodies who marry, but minds, that's done. That's a poem like the ecstasy. Um, That loving wretch that swears it's not the bodies marry, but the minds, which he in her angelic finds would swear as justly that he hears in that day's rude, hoarse minstrelsy, the spheres. Um, So a person who said that would that's like just saying that the groaning that you hear when people are having sex, that that's the music of the spheres, that day's rude, hoarse minstrelsy. Um, It's the music of the spheres. No, it isn't, is what he's saying. And then the worst two lines, hope not for mind in women. (laughs) Told you. I warned you. Hope not for mind in women. At their best sweetness and wit, they are but mummy possessed. So you might think that a woman was showing sweetness and wit, but when you had sex with her, that is, when you possess her, she'll turn out just to be a mummy, Um, which means that all she is is a mummy anyhow possessed by a devil.
1: mummy as in what we think of as mummy, like the The rat, Egyptian... Okay, I just didn't know. A mummified body. Wait, that doesn't doesn't make sense. No, like I'm I'm trying to...
0: Really? Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Go on.
1: Wait, because he's talking about sweetness and wit, which is a conversation, and then he says, but she's a mummy. I was expecting a comparison to what she was saying, rather.
0: Yeah, no, so what he's saying is they're... um, they try to seduce us, and they trick us. They seem sweet and witty, but when you possess them, A, it's like necrophilia. Um, you possess them the way you would possess a mummy, um, or they turn into a mummy once they're possessed. Um, possess being that, that um, term for having sex with someone, or what, um, uh, what men boast about. I possessed her last night. Um, Um, but also possessed the way a mummy might be possessed by a devil um, and um, therefore be a zombie. um, Be a dead body that's walking around because it's been possessed by a devil. So that's done at his shall we say most unwholesome? Um, Sorry? I would go with bitterest. Bitterest, yeah. Um, Objectionable, unwholesome. But notice that What he's really good at doing is just piling really, really hard ideas one on another, Um, no matter what the context is. You'll see this in some of the holy sonnets, too. But no matter what the context is, he will just pile things up. Um, And somehow, I mean, this is what you guys were saying at the start, but somehow all that piling, um, he built something out of it. Um, And it may be ugly, but it's solid. Um, what Dr. Johnson said about him was that he was a typical of the metaphysical poets, which is that he yoked um, he yoked his images by violence together. Um, that is, the images are yoked together by violence. Dryden, who is the greatest late seventeenth-century poet and a poet of absolute sweetness of, of diction and, uh, and of sound, um, wrote a book called The Satires of Doctor Dunn, That is, and you've read some of the satires. We'll look at one of them on Wednesday. But (laughs) Dryden's great title was The Satires of Dr. Dunn Versified. Um, So that means it's basically Dunn's poems turned into poetry. Um, So that's a different view of poetry from Dunn's view. Okay, see you all Wednesday. I hope he wrote
1: that before he met his wife.